Well, we may not have one of the most iconic intros of all time, but we're here to talk gibberish, aren't we, Dom? Yep, we are back again after what feels like a fucking long time. We, we didn't really announce very much, but uh, you got stuck head on into the usual university exams. And yep. uh, I got stuck in my usual winter work of uh, various audits and uh, like the usual nonsense that I have to deal with at Christmas. So it's been kind of busy, and we haven't really had a chance to uh, do much as far as making episodes concerned, but. We've been uh, busy behind the scenes making sure that there's stuff ready to go for uh, not only this episode, but also for an episode hoping to release that at some point around the new year where we discuss the best of 2021 because there was actually some stuff to look forward to this year. It's just none of it's going to be in this episode. Oh yeah, we're, we're saving that for for our next one. We, we, we want to get the evil out of our systems first before we start just uh, yeah. talking about things we actually enjoyed. Um. So yeah, I... I just want to get right into Cowboy Bebop. I don't know about you, because that was the reference for the, the best, uh, most iconic intro of all time. Uh, would be the original Cowboy Bebop's tank. And uh, I'd say it's probably up there in terms of greatest intros to like media ever. Up there with some of the James Bond intros. Yeah, I think uh, I think tank at this stage is probably one of the most iconic anime intros. <laughs> so, uh, the the Netflix version gets points, you know, for at least including it, because there would have been a lot of people that did their own version or tried to do something different. But yeah, at least they kept the intro in, and yeah, that's about all I'm giving it points for. <laughs> they had the forethought to uh, recognise that anime fans have a certain attachment to OPs and EDs, like the opening songs and ending songs, and they are very religious about how those songs are presented and kept, because we, we really do cherish them. They kind of bookend the show when you listen to it. And you get so used to hearing that week in and week out when you're watching a show that you really like and a show like Cowboy Bebop has a fanatical audience. The yeah. uh, You get so used to hearing that intro and outro, it gets really ingrained in you and associated with the property. And I think that Netflix actually had some idea this was this was going to be a sticking point uh, after the Evangelion redub they did, where they said, we can't get the rights to fly me to the moon. So we're going to have to use something else as the outro. And the community was somewhat... Uh, displeased, I think we could say that safely <laughs> and they would not shut the fuck up about we won't get the fly me to the moon outro it's not the same and um, yeah it's um, it was obviously a sticking point for the, the creators of the show that we need to get some kind of uh, continuity between the two shows because I think the original uh, way it was set up was that this the live action adaptation of Cowboy Bebop was supposed to be on par with or considered an alternate canon to the anime, which is bold and brave, I'll give them that. But Netflix basically decided they were going to destroy another classic anime with live-action adaptations. Uh, I mean, not satisfied with doing it or buying the rights to a Full Metal Alchemist uh, live-action show or live-action movie, they decided to make a Death Note film that pissed off every single fan I can think of. And yeah, I don't even like Death Note, and I thought that was a pile of shit. <laughs> The only character that I liked throughout all of Death Note was L because L seemed like he knew what was going on and he genuinely could have stopped it. Yeah. He seemed like the only kind of closest to the good guy character that there was, but he was such an unlikable piece of shit that you didn't really get behind him. And that was the same with Light. You didn't really give a shit about Light, but at least with L, you knew he was the only one that could really be on par with Light. And then 
he fucked off and then they think, all right, well, let's just make him some kind of, you know, Ritalin, Hyde, intelligent, you know, polymath, and we'll just make him unlikable in the live action series. And that's pretty much what they did. Uh, L is not supposed to be hyperactive or aggressive. He's meant to be very neutral and calculating what they did in the live action version was just complete departure from that. Yeah, he's a keen observer. Yeah. He waits, he watches, he sets up his situations so that he can figure out who's doing what based on the inputs and outputs. And then he just goes with his, you know, presumption and investigates further. Like, it's it's his character down to a T is just wait and see, make the right call, and then make sure you've got it right before you spring a massive trap on someone and doom them, you know? He's very methodical like that. And they, like, Netflix handling that that show into a movie bungled it to the point where now the phrase Netflix adaptation is synonymous with complete failure in the anime community. Yeah, and Misa as well, they made Misa who's meant to be this just kind of, I'll do anything for light, that kind of character. They made her somehow the the brains of the operation. <laughs> I thought, yeah. okay. Not really the way that had almost nothing to do with the original source material is now running the show. The fuck? <laughs> so, understandably, we were a little bit dubious when we heard that there was going to be an adaptation of Cowboy Bebop. Um, I will just preface this at the start. I went into this thinking it would be good. Right. I, I had I, faith too as well. I'll put my hands up and say, you know what, I'll give them a shot. They've made the, a few wise choices. Of, you know, Casting didn't seem that bad from the outset. Casting um, was good. A few, uh, a few tweaks from good. original. Sets were good. Yeah, I mean... There's a lot to be positive about. And we all kind of... Both of us went in just kind of saying, okay, well, let's see what happens. It might be worth a look. And, uh, yeah. It didn't work. I'm sorry. We were wrong. I, we were very sorry for being patient and uh, welcoming. This will not happen again. There will be nothing but pure hatred on this podcast from now on. We will ensure yeah. that there will be nothing. <laughs> nothing nothing we give a second chance. and bile from now on. We will not be patient. We will not be optimistic. We will not be positive because it has steered us in the wrong direction again. And I wouldn't mind so much. But Netflix is handling the biggest anime IPs of all time. Full Metal Alchemist, highly rated show. Death Note, highly rated show. Cowboy Bebop, highly, all quite like possibly the big three of anime. If you wanted to just not just for anime fans, but for people who might be kind of nerdy inclined, and you might just kind of want to recommend them something in anime to watch, you could maybe push one of those three shows. It's kind of like if I dropped two Fabergé eggs, and then said, "Hold on, I know I've just fucked up twice, but if you hand me that third Fabergé egg." I pinky promise I will drop it. <laughs> was there a live action film at Alchemist? Uh, yes, it was made in Japan and Netflix bought the rights to it. And it looks exactly as you think it does. Somehow, Ed's armor looks more realistic than. <laughs> than <laughs> Wrong way around. <laughs> God damn it. Somehow, Al's armor looks more realistic than Ed's hair. It's amazing. <laughs> okay. So uh, the CG robot, or the CG armor. Mm-hmm. Looks more realistic than somebody's hair. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'll send you the trailer. You'll have fun. And then Probably. several drinks. Uh... <laughs> Probably, yeah. I mean, I got I got uh, Johnny Walker for my birthday. Oh, that was another thing that happened. Uh, I uh, I turned 30. Nice. That nothing that happened. Welcome to the club. <laughs> yeah, Just my to... knees hurt. <laughs> <laughs> knees hurt, my dick don't work. 
My back oh. just aches. <laughs> the, everything, the knees are the only things that hurt. Uh, but yeah, that's that's because I I injured my knee the week before my birthday. That I bet your family fun. had fun with that, just taking the piss constantly. Oh yeah, I I uh, what happened in rugby? I hit a divot and I stretched my knee to Ooh. the point where there was tearing noises, and uh, for the the whole week leading up to my birthday, I was getting you know hop along like come on Ojin that kind of shit. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember your bus pass? All that kind of... <laughs> so, so those jokes that are funny the first time. <laughs> okay, yeah. thank you very much, you fucks. <laughs> the end of a week, I'm like, I will, I'm still stronger than most people in this house. I will flatten you all. <laughs> I will whoop all the ass, motherfucker. I will throw you all out the second story window and then pick you up and do it again. <laughs> but, yeah, it's um, Kevin Habibop. Where are we? Yeah, we'll go back to Kevin Habibop. So... Positive. I just want to bring a bit of positivity, say something that good that happened to me before I have to talk about this anomalous wreck of a show. Well, if we want to talk about positive things, I have a few notes that I really enjoyed. Yep. I really appreciate the amount of practical sets that were being used. Yeah, was... the sets were, were really, really good, really, really well done. Yeah. Um, If you want to just talk about something that's very enjoyable to see, I'm so used to all this green screen, all this CGI stuff, seeing someone build a practical universe and accentuate it with CGI and stuff, because it needed to be done. You, you funnily enough, cannot get a commercial uh, space flight yet and put another spaceship and then film it. So you do kind of need to do some uh, messing around in CGI stuff. But I feel like they took a, a page out of the book of stuff like Firefly and Stargate Atlantis, where you have a practical set, a real world that feels a bit scuffed up and lived in, and then you put in little bits and pieces for the CGI. Or then if you need to do something big that you can't quite accomplish. Some of the green screen does stand out. There were some shots there where I'm like, okay, I can see exactly the point where the <laughs> where the practical set stops, and the background's uh, a CGI image. I'm fine with that. It needed to be done. You know, I, I don't expect them to have massive uh, skyscrapers like the Witcher and Cowboy Bebop in the anime and stuff like that. But you know, it, it works for a certain amount. Um, CGI, pretty good. Thought it was pretty good. Um, also, um. Mustafa Shakir is jet black. Yeah. Best. Outstanding. Best in show by a mile. Yeah. Holy crap. <laughs> and the only one that I felt that actually did what the character was supposed to do. He was, you know, a bit of a curmudgeon, but he always came through in the end. He was, you know, he, Spike treated him like an asshole. He kind of treated him like an asshole back. There was yeah. that really good back and forth between them. Yeah. I, th- I think they really nailed casting him. Um, he is always in the show. He's a bit older than Spike and Faye, so he kind of gives off the fatherly vibe. Um, yeah. And that's the way it really kind of should be. Um, it's more direct in the series because they make him a literal father of an estranged child, but he is a father figure within the crew of the Bebop. So that works. Yeah. And uh, I think he actually got a bit more to do in the show. I don't think, he, if you look at the actual anime, I don't think he I mean, he has his episodes and bits and pieces here and there, yeah. but I feel like he did more, which I'm okay with because Mustafa Shakir nailed it, you know? Yeah, I, yeah I'm okay for that. I felt like he did have more of a role to play, like, uh, I didn't like they gave him a, a a a child, a wife that was now dating one of his former co- married to one of his former colleagues. I didn't feel like they needed to do that, but they did it, and it gave him more to do. So, yeah, it's, it's gonna be a positive. And just because I had to stretch it, three nice things. I like that the show kept true to its jazz roots. So much of the bebop is based on jazz. Yeah, it's uh, based on music. I wouldn't even like. Jazz mainly, but a lot of it is just music. And I mean, to the point where 
one of the key settings of the show is a jazz club run by a new yeah. character that was added to the show. And it's it's good that it's there. I really yeah. the, if someone said we actually feel like Synthwave would be a bit more of a an, an update to the show, you'd be like, get the fuck out of my show. <laughs> I will slap every hole in a five mile radius if you get the fuck off my show. <laughs> every single person that said, How about we try this? Line up. I'm just gonna go down the line and slap you all in the face. Line up, face the wall, don't ask questions. <laughs> you knew this was coming. But uh, do yeah. you have anything else that we can just add to that list just so it doesn't seem like we're being dicks? Uh, yeah. Um, I think I, I can't really add more to it, but I can add more to what you've said. Uh, the casting was really good. Um, uh, John Cho as Spike Spiegel was good doing the stuff from the anime with the, with all the additional stuff where he's talking to the new Anastasia when he's talking about you know his old life is fearless. Uh all crap but see when he's just being cool Spike Spiegel he's actually, actually works pretty well uh, yeah the sets all look really cool the the ships the the settings all look really nice uh, yeah really add much more to it you kind of hit the nail on the head there I've got more to say about how bad it went but <laughs> trying to inject a bit of positivity yeah I, I did uh, give John Cho they got the correct breed of dog for Ayn yep they, they got it <laughs> he does nothing Except scare someone. Could, but you've you've got some of my points there that are like my kind of half mark section. That was John Cho as like cool Spike Spiegel, doing pretty good. Him as action Spike Spiegel, I don't think he sold a single punch. No, no. The in the first episode when they're fighting on the spaceship, the casino, he does a like a spinning back kick, and you hear the hit but his foot never actually connects any way, shape, or form with the guy that he's fighting. He didn't want to just shape that up a bit. <laughs> I didn't sit and watch it that in detail. By that point, I'd just given up. I saw the, uh, it was the Fourier Fists thing. I was like, oh no, oh no. Like where he's doing the punches in the chest. I'm like, ah, fuck. <laughs> they didn't train him on Kung Fu. The only reason I noticed the kick thing is because I was watching it and I just kind of focused in and I was like, because I think it even went slow-mo for a bit, like the end of a game where you throw the last punch before you get the result screen. Mm. I just thought, his foot is ended and he's reeling back. His foot is about three inches away from where he's actually meant to be. And, uh, yeah, I <laughs> Yeah, they got the dog right. And it was... <laughs> they were so close. They had him doing the cute stuff, but all I, all I wanted to see was, in the anime, Ayn is a data dog, which means he's elevated intelligence. And all I, all I was thinking of was, you give him a few small moments where he just understands what's going on, so he does something to fix it. He pulls a lever, he pushes a button, he opens a door, or he guides someone to something somewhere they need to go. That's all you need. Just something little like that to show that he's a smart dog, instead of just a dog. Yeah. But yeah, I... Uh, I, I thought Faye was okay. Um, but... Oh, Faye's my number one Phase are, we going on to the, are we going on to the bad shit? Or? There's nothing nice to talk about. <laughs> Alright, if we're moving on to the bad shit, my number one point with a bullet is what they did to Faye. My... Faye is meant... Faye is not meant to be some kind of nymphomaniac that has... that is addicted to... you know, just robbing people for the sake of it. There was nothing about her gambling addiction. There was nothing about her past, really. There was one point with, uh, what's it, Sakamoto, who 
who's now her mum. Yeah. But yeah, they, they didn't really get Faye right for me. The costume was as good as they could have made it, right? Yeah. I think. But they were never going to get someone who's a respected actress to wear the original Faye Valentine outfit. And I know you can still make that outfit. I've seen a thousand cosplay images proving that point. You yep. were never going to get somebody to stand there and say, I'm in a respected TV show wearing this outfit. Not yep. in 2021. Sorry, it was not going to happen. If you look at Faye Valentine's, I say her actress is okay, she's just not playing Faye Valentine. Yeah, absolutely not. That was, everyone uh, can be said to play, be playing their character to somewhat, to some degree. John Cho is playing a version of Spike. Uh, Mustafa Shakir is playing Jet Black. Uh, the bitch that they got to play Vicious is at some points playing Vicious, not often, but at some points he gets it. Uh, uh, I think it's Daniela Pineda doesn't really get the character of Faye, in my opinion. I don't think they wrote the character of Faye. I don't no, think the did, people responsible for writing this did not write Faye Valentine, because Faye's a con artist. She was handy yeah, with I'm, a pistol I'm, I'm, and I'm, can pilot stuff. She's okay. Um, She has a moment, like, she, she puts up a fight when she needs to, because, you know, the bebop's in danger or she's gonna die. But she's kind of not a man-eater, but she has her seductive moments, but it's mostly mm. her just playing off her intelligence she knows what she wants, she knows how to get it. And she'll leverage being a girl to get it. Yeah. She but, doesn't, she's not a nymphomaniac that's out to sleep with all these other women for no reason. I thought she only banged one woman. I thought she was, I felt like she was constantly flirting and trying to bang people. I didn't get that one, but yeah. Um, right. But for me, she's just like badass action heroine number 256. Yeah. And I think it's Which because... But they have to yeah. kind of attach all the other things to her. She can still, at no point does Faye not fight. Yeah, in the anime, she puts up yeah. a fight. She's just not a yeah. trained fighter. Yeah, and I look at it as being the writer said, "Let's write a strong action character rather than writing problems that require your brains to solve." Same reason I think Ayn's not smart either. That it was harder to write a problem-solving situation that doesn't involve guns or fists. Yeah, and I think. That was another thing that was missing from the show. There was not really the... It wasn't all fight scenes and gun, shootouts and stuff like that. There were some intelligent moments in Cowboy Bebop, which I think they just skated over completely. Yeah. The show about private eyes, basically. They're detectives, in a certain sense. Yeah. They're not. They're bounty hunters, so they need to figure out where someone is and who they are and where they might be. And there's a yeah. little bit of that in... Oh, what's the name of the episode? Um, Dog Star Swing, um, where it's them hunting down someone who's been stealing dogs, that's how they meet Ayn. But yeah. there's not a lot beyond that. I was like, yeah, this is uh, missing a key part of the show is the investigation, and then the final like, five minutes is the action scene fighting the guy. But you're still missing that 15-20 minutes of figuring out who's responsible. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like <laughs> I went in, watched it, thought it was okay. Gave it the th four or five stars. Four or five out of ten. Yeah. I think from what I saw, I, I I might have given up a bit too early, but after seeing how it ends... We'll get there informed, We'll get there in a minute. We'll get there. Yeah, the, the last scene... Saying, like, pre prefacing that it, how it ends informs why I tapped it early. And I think what I, what else contributed to me tapping out early was uh, Vicious. Vicious is one of the most badass, calculating, ruthless villains mm. in anime. He's a mean and, motherfucker... In all, actually, not in all caps. He's a mean motherfucker that's very understated. Yeah. You don't realise how deadly creepy. he is 
unsettling until you you don't realize how you know threatening he is until your head's been cut off. Right? Yeah. But, but in yeah. this, <laughs> he's a little bitch. Uh, what was my description the of daddy him? issues? <laughs> yeah, daddy issues. Vicious went from ruthless ambition to daddy issues. Although his dad is Denethor from Lord of the Rings, so it's understandable. Um, but he's annoyingly loud to the point where I don't understand why anyone puts up with him. And I don't want to really spoil how it ends, just in case anyone wants to see it. You shouldn't need to. <laughs> just watch yeah. it. Spoilers, my. If you my... really want to see it, experience it for yourself. We're not going to spoil it for you, but just, why? Just know that <laughs> there's this thing called an anime, and there's 26 episodes, and they're all great. <laughs> There's a few dull oh. moments, but they're mostly great. Yeah, absolutely. Go and watch the anime. If you really want to watch something called Cowboy Bebop, the, the anime is also on Netflix. So if, you, yeah. if you're if you going on Netflix looking at Cowboy Bebop, watch the anime. And then when you're done, don't worry, there's a movie afterwards. Yeah. Just when you think you're done, you get a whole nother 90 minutes or something like that. Yep. But uh, yeah, it was the... He's so loud compared to what you expect. Uh, for Vicious, and I think one of my saving uh, moments, actually, for John Cho's uh, character, was when they s- talked to you about him being fearless for most of the show, um, and him actually being a hitman by the codename Fearless for the, the Syndicate. Having his scene in episode 9, um, it, which I described as John Wick-esque um, in the throwback episode, it's Gun based and well choreographed, which is why it looks good compared to all the other John Cho fight scenes. But the um, like those episodes, like that throwback episode explaining the relationship, not that bad. Probably my favorite, and it's all content they made for this this series. I don't think most of it is in the anime. I think it's hinted at and maybe not developed very much, but it's there in kind of little hints and traces and ideas that show up in the show. But then they just show it all for the the Netflix adaptation, which I, I, they kind of had to do something to keep it interesting. Because by about episode seven and eight, I'm like, well, we just get fucking over and done with. Um, but yeah, if we want to talk about, I mean, I, I went back and watched some of the anime. Um, I watched the two part finale, uh, Real Folk Blues, um, and then yeah. my favorite episode, which is uh, Puerto Lafu, which is the Killer Clown episode. Yep. Holy fuck. <laughs> If you ever want to, like, I said, I went in there giving it a 4 or 5 out of 10. And then I went back to um, watch some of the anime and immediately was like, it's unfair that they tried to make the live action version of this without committing to it with, like, a, a full, like, 12 to 15 episodes to catch all the content of the show and do, like, huge justice. Like, you need a monstrous budget. And I'm assuming this show did get a pretty big budget, but you need monster budget to actually pull off what they did in animation. Just watching like the initial kind of fight scenes with uh, Pearl Fu, holy shit! <laughs> the uh, the action, the even just choreographing like his movements in general because he doesn't move like a normal person. He floats rather than walks. So even getting yeah. that right, making it look realistic because it's quite weighty in a sense. Even though he's floating, it's a weird combination, but it looks like if you had magical floating powers, it should look. At least in your head. And then yeah. having them try to pull that off with, you know, the weird weird kind of clown thing he's got going on. He's not fully a clown, but he is a bit weird kind of court jester. Yeah, uh, you're talking about Pierre Lefaux. Yeah. Yeah, he's... Um, 
don't think he's meant to be a clone. I think he's meant to be kind of you know, the best witch service. But yeah, it, he's. I'm uh, thinking circus ringmaster. Yeah, ringmaster. That's that's it. Yeah, he. Uh, I was meant to be that, <laughs> and he was a. Uh, you know the way he moved was meant. To, I always assumed that it was some kind of weird suit he had on, like with the guns and stuff in his pocket. I thought it was meant to be like there's something in the suit that's making him float around like that. Mm-hmm. Some weird kind of output of his weird force field type thing. Yeah, that's how I thought he was moving about, and that's how I thought he could move so kind of fluidly. Yeah, he's just so creepy. Like in a weird, most kind of creepy things are slow but inevitable, like Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees, stuff like that. Yeah. He is so fast and relentless, it seems unfair. But because he's an absolute maniac, in the truest sense of the word, he's unpredictable. In both a good and bad way. So, little quirks that he has can really fuck up a fight scene for him. But it's good, it keeps it well balanced and interesting. Because for most of that, the actual episode, Spike is not winning. <laughs> he is having his ass handed to him for the entire anime episode. And they actually did do most of that, like it's not really a fair fight. For the, the live action version, they got, at least got that right. But it's way more chaotic. I mean, the actual way that he gets taken down in the anime is borderline hilarious. But to actually make it work in a live action show, they have to give it a bit more kind of grit and realism. It doesn't quite pan out. And I'm like, oh, that's a shame. You know? <laughs> One of the most iconic characters of the show and you don't give him his proper send-off. I was looking up the uh, the budget for uh, Cowboy Bebop. In fucking uh, just right in the middle uh, of the. I'm guessing from, seventy to eighty million. I've heard sixty to seventy million for the whole thing, so roughly about seven million an episode. Mm. But no, uh, I did find an article by Vice saying Netflix's Cowboy Bebop isn't supposed to be good. <laughs> okay, you're gonna have to send that one to me. To be? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll send that over. Yeah, I'll include it in the show notes if anyone wants to read why. <laughs> Netflix Cowboy Bebop isn't supposed to be good but uh, like most things I think everything's trying to be good see I have a couple of anime tattoos already and one of the tattoos I really wanted was Spike Ship because it's a great design yeah the swordfish it's awesome it's a really great design as far as the spaceship's concerned and I like how scuffed up it is it's not a clean ship (laughs) this is not fresh off the line this is a few tours in and yeah, uh, yeah I, I now am worried that if someone saw me with a swordfish tattoo, they'd be like, oh, you like the Netflix version? And I'm like, no. No. <laughs> no. Um, but actually, speaking of iconic characters done dirty, I want to talk about Ed. Yeah. Uh, but, what else? I kind of... Like, Ed was my final point where I was like, you know what? Fuck this show. Uh, I was on board with some of the things that they were doing then, uh, and I was going to go back and finish it because I've got to episode two. I just about to start episode three, and there's a couple of things that weren't lining up for me. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to leave this for a bit. I'm going to go back to it. And I checked Twitter, and uh, Cowboy Bebop was trending. So I clicked on it. And uh, You saw the you Ed know, footage. I... What's his name? It's like. No, no, I, I'm not naming the kid because no, I want like to. Ed has a kind of a suffix. It's like rambunctious Ed or something. Um. Yeah. Um. Because he's. He's the the hacker, I think, that's rambunctious Ed. But I think they just call him Ed once they get to know him. Radical Ed. Radical Ed. Ed. Radical Ed is his, uh, her name. Uh, a, no, I don't know. I mean, uh, Watanabe said that, her, that their gender's not important, but it is a she. Oh, right, okay. 
Because, well, that's one thing we want to talk about is Ed is a fan favourite character. And is a, oh, yeah. I'm a big fan of the Ed character, even though they annoy the hell out of me. <laughs> I do. Yeah. Um, I, I find Ed very grating because I don't like small kids. I find them really fucking stupid and annoying. Um, but Ed eventually grows on you during the anime. And yeah. unfortunately, the decision was made, and I'm, I'm putting all this on showrunners, producers, directors, like senior staff of the show. I'm not putting any of this on the actor because... That kid took a job, did a role, and was given bad instruction. I'm sure the directions went something like, hey kid, be all wacky zanying in someone's face for 60 seconds, ignore the fact they've got a head injury, <laughs> and yeah. just get in that face, and we'll point a camera at you, and you just be wacky and crazy. And that kid went with it, and was perfectly annoying. But yeah, that's not yeah, it. I mean- if they got, if they were going for that specifically, then they got it. But uh, they uh, there were so many things that bugged me about uh, the live action Ed because Ed's not meant Ed's meant to be annoying, but not uh, obnoxious. The, uh, that was yeah. There was nothing about uh, Radical Ed in the live action show that was you know nothing but obnoxious. Like when they lean in and shout Spike Spiegel, I'm like, oh god, this is what they're doing. And then she's like jumping, they're jumping about shouting, we have a job for you. That's as as close as you get to Ed. And you just completely lose it from there on in. We talked about the family dynamic of the Bebop's crew with uh, respect to Jet Black. Ed is the annoying little sibling. And you've got the twins, I see them as kind of twins of uh, Spike and Faye. Who are on each other's level and just don't the shit out of each other. They're being dicks to one another. But at the same time, you have the annoying little kid, Ed. And then the family dog, Aang. And Ed, you do grow to love Ed. Showing them only for 60 seconds with bad direction was a horrible decision by the cat. I know there was kind of a surprise when Ed was never really brought up during discussions of the show. Like when it came to like the pre-publicity. Nobody even knew if Ed was going to be in the show. And then getting that for one of the best loved characters of the entire show, the entire franchise, kind of a slap in the face to the fans. And you're like, yeah, oh, def- shit. <laughs> this is what they think of Bebop. Yeah. And I think what bugged me the most was the, the wig. The weird kind of Einstein wig that she had on. The the 599 cosplay wig. Yeah. Ed's hair was just meant to be weird and messy. That was cut a Goku wig in half and glued it on her head. <laughs> and glued it on a, their head, sorry. Their head. Yeah. They're non binary. Maybe be respectful about pronouns. And that kid is unfortunate because they have been cast I mean, getting the Ed roll right would have taken like I want you to think about Game of Thrones. I know we don't like to do that, but think about how good the kid playing Joffrey is. You fucking hate that character because he's a good actor. Yeah. You would need the opposite. He did well effect. enough for you to hate him. Yeah, but he's at the point where he quit acting because people hated him because of the character. You would need someone to pull the exact same thing, going up 180 degrees, where they're annoying but lovable, to get Ed right. And it's kind of unfair to ask a kid to do that, especially if it's their first fucking role on anything ever, according to IMDb. Yeah, can you imagine, right? Building on what you've been told, but this young. Fairly new actor, 
they've got me used and I'm really looking forward to playing this role. I'm, it's going to be, I'm going to be one of the, like, I'm blazing new territory. They're playing Ed as non-binary and I'm a non-binary actor. I'm going to you know, do my best. I'm going to cut 100% and, and they get given that version of Radical Ed and then not three weeks later, not even a full month after this, your big break comes out, it gets cancelled. I yeah. quit acting after. Yeah, and there's no way in hell that kid hears this, but kid, don't sweat it. That's not on you. It is honestly yeah. not your fault. It is. No, no. Uh, but... Eden something, I think their name is. I'm going to look for the name. Eden Perkins is their name. So yeah, Eden Perkins, if you somehow hear this, not your fault, kid. Good job. Yeah, you tried. <laughs> you went for a swing you... at the fences and it did not hit. Yeah. Said I'm up and do it again because I'd give any kid actor a chance. They're all fucking terrible. <laughs> they all appear in some county production of uh, you know, some play and then their mum says, no, 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 we're going to go do editions. <laughs> and they're dragged from it. I don't know if you've ever heard the stories of child actors. They are horrible. Yeah, they're, yeah they're someone I played rugby with was a child actor. Just fucking nightmare fuel. They did the... Remember he was talking about uh, when he first started, you know, looking into it and he got a lot of bit parts and stuff, it would be like up at, you know, stupid o'clock in the morning, go and do 20 minutes of film and then come back, then he had to sit and wait for three hours, that kind of thing. Yeah. But, I've I've heard the horror stories. And yeah, I handling Ed would have taken another season. And we're in this weird limbo space where when it was finished, I was kind of annoyed. I was like, okay, they didn't get it. But if maybe if they have another season, maybe they can figure this out and write out the rest of it. And it'll be fine. Because the ending to this the show um needs a fucking slap in the face. <laughs> this is this is why I'm so happy to put all this on the showrunners, the writers, the producers, the the staff behind the show mm. rather than the actors on camera because that ending is such a weird hodgepodge of the end of the anime itself and then the end of the movie and then an extra twist at the end. I haven't seen I haven't seen the the, prop, the full ending but from what I've seen they try and incorporate the church. Yep. Because, uh, you know, you see Spike getting kicked out of the church but he doesn't get shot out by Vicious, he gets shot out by Julia. Yeah, and it's such a downturn for Julia, who has been the love interest and the main kind of reason Spike's been going on. Um, yeah. Apologies has... for spoilers, but uh, yeah, I was just confirming. <laughs> yeah, guys, you figured out we don't want you to watch the show. <laughs> if we spoil yeah. it, we might just save you. So technically, yes, it's a dick move to spoil stuff, but we did just save your soul, so have a little bit of leeway. Yeah, um, we won't spoil how it actually. <laughs> um, but yeah, having Julia go from, uh, her main situation throughout most of the show to being like her, her the ending and having it take place over the com- the course of one conversation is kind of shit <laughs> yeah. th- there's little hints that there's maybe one or two little hints that she's maybe unhappy with how her life is going at that point and is going to try and fix it but her uh, all taking place over the course of maybe 30 seconds is horrific <laughs> it's just sort of like a jarring u-turn it's I mean, I hmm. I can't I really explain it. Without... This doesn't lead right because I know Netflix are doing more anime live action adaptations. I know they're looking to they're looking to uh, One Piece. Yep. But the Aichiro Oda is taking great pains in literally handpicking who's going to be in uh, the 
the live action version, even to the point where I think he's wrote the first couple of scripts. Right. Because he's that, you know, particular about his baby. You know I'm a huge Gundam fan, right? Yeah. That is very, very, very well documented on the show. Watching Cowboy Bebop gave me the fear <laughs> of the live action, right? If you're watching from anywhere apart from Scotland, the fear is just dread. General dread and horror, right? Terror. It's not fear of something. It's a general feeling of fear. It's a gut punch... It's like being in the woods at night and hearing a wolf howl. Cause you're for fucking dinner, mate. <laughs> yeah. Going out for going out for a walk in the woods and you just hear loud crunching and a couple of, you know, what sounds like something heavy chasing after you. You know, just that kind of gut wrenching fear that you just think Right. They're about to do the first series of Gundam, the with Amaro and Shar. I'm just thinking, what are they gonna do with Shar Asnabo, who's one of the most capable Gundam or capable mobile suit pilots in all of Mobile Suit Gundam, and he's one of the greatest strategists in all of Mobile Suit Gundam. What are they going to do with him? If Wait. Vicious turning him into a little bitch was not off the table for Cowboy Bebop, what's not off the table for Shar? Wait, are they actually doing a Gundam? Yeah, they're doing a live action Gundam. Oh dear, sweet fucking Christ! <laughs> okay, I don't know if I've said this on the podcast, I'm pretty sure I haven't, but I'm okay with a race swap, gender swap, I'm okay with that, if they honour the original book, original character. But with Shah Aznable, he kind of needs to be Aryan, because that's the whole point of Zeon. Him being kind of a horrible racist, <laughs> a yeah, very talented the... horrible racist, kind of the point. Yeah, I mean, change Amaro, but as long as you keep Amaro how he is in the anime. Mm. Uh, change, change characters up as you need to be, but just keep them true to the character itself, like, for example, I, I'm currently playing through on my PS5, uh, Spider-Man, uh, Spider-Man uh, Miles Morales. Again, Miles is a completely different Spider-Man from Peter Parker, but he is still Spider-Man. They're still honoured Spider-Man. Mm. They do something like that with the live-action Gundam, I'll be fine. They can change things, but just keep the character the same. It's the reason why you can't really change Batman without him being, you know, stoic, world's greatest detective, all this shit. It's where, yeah, they need. To they need to do the homework if they're going to, you know, make changes like that. But yeah, that was just me <laughs> rambling on about the fact that I'm terrified of the live-action Gundam series that I know is coming out because I've seen stills from the production. Can you send those to me? Because I didn't know they were doing a Gundam. I want to. <laughs> I need to know, Dom. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll send them over. I'll send them over. It's, uh, no, I, I actually was talking about this because I, I found an anime fan at work. And I, I fucking... I, I caught her. <laughs> the, the, there's only one way that you find out someone else is a geek and it's normally because somebody fucks up. And yeah, you caught them slipping. You're, oh shit, you denied it. Because <laughs> we're listening to music, and I recognise the music, and it's from an anime that I'm like, hey, you don't know about that unless you're pretty fucking nerdy. How do you know about that show? And she's like, how do you know about that show? <laughs> I watched the anime. Back on you. <laughs> she's like, no way, and I'm like, and read the manga. And she's like, oh shit. <laughs> so we've had conversations about live action stuff as well, because obviously Bebop came out recently, and she was like, how bad is it? Really fucking bad. <laughs> this is when I'd really, when reality sunk in. I was like, "Yeah, they they fucked it." Um, because there's a bunch. I explained about the uh, the Full Metal Alchemist reboot, the Death Note reboot, or the the live action versions. And I talked to her about the Attack on Titan live action version. Mm-hmm. If you want to see some dodgy stuff, I'll show you the trailer for that. It's a Japanese reboot where they have clearly CGI giant monsters, and then just a very clear division between them and the human actors that are on stage at the point. It's Amazingly shit. <laughs> Isn't that the the live action adaptation? I think this might be in a movie where they, whenever they 
Titan Changers change back to their human form, they just fall in big sacks of amniotic fluid. Probably. Like they fall out of wombs. I mean, it's very hard things to get them to do that effect, right? Because you're supposed to be covered in, like, steam. Because the yeah. Titan body you've had is so warm on the inside, it basically is kind of giving you a bit of, like, a mild cooking while you're in there. Right. So you, like, you pop out of it and you're steaming as you come out. Really weird. A mild toast. Doing is amniotic fluid, probably not the worst idea, rather than just steam everyone constantly. Um, but no, it's, like, we were talking about stuff like this, and I was saying, hey, you could, like, what would be some of you, if you had to adapt it, like, gun in your head, what would you do? And she was saying, oh, I would just do, like, a, a Slice of Life sitcom. You could just do that. You just make a, make a comedy. Yeah. There's plenty of them. They're well-loved. Um, you get the characters right, get some good casting, you could probably just nail it and just pass it off as a sitcom to most normal people. And most people wouldn't notice the difference. But I got concerned about another series that I'm a big fan of. I don't know if you've seen this one. You, you probably should have. If you've not, you're gonna. Because I've got the Blu-rays coming um, in February. So I bought the special edition. You introduced me to an anime uh, butt purchasing site. You made a fucking mistake, bro. Uh, <laughs> I am now well, several. Just, uh, all the anime. Yep. I uh, love them. Um, they actually help put on anime festivals here in the UK. So I'm indebted to them to bring me back into anime. So uh, I purchased stuff from them kind of regularly. Um, but they have the Blu-ray special editions for uh, Black Lagoon. And I am really worried about them making a live action of that. If I had to make something, it would be that. But given the current track record of anime adaptations, please fucking leave it alone. Because <laughs> it's very similar to uh, the, the group dynamics of Cowboy Bebop. Just it's set in Asia as like uh, modern day pirates instead of space as bounty hunters. So if you could just leave that the shit alone, Netflix, that'd be great. Uh don't get any ideas, please just fuck off and cool off for five minutes. Like we'll give you another chance with whatever you want to do next. Just give anime a rest for five minutes. As someone whose favourite animated film probably of all time is uh, Akira. I'm worried that all these animated or all these animes turn live action are just slowly creeping towards <laughs> an, a live action Akira because if you look at the people who have passed on this film you kind of get a sense of that no one wants to touch it not because it's you know impossible to film just because it's so beloved you've got uh, Taika Waititi he was offered an Akira uh, Jordan Peele was offered Akira uh, I, think I, Taika, I think I heard about Taika Waititi getting it I think I said I'd go for that like again just to see what they do no he passed on it from what I heard he just said that I wasn't uh, to make it my way. It would not be. It wouldn't be a hero, and then I think he he gave it up there after Jordan Peele wanted to uh, basically tear it up and start again. <laughs> uh, make it uh, basically a Jordan Peele movie. Uh, again, I'd be down for that. But it, um, again, it yeah. wouldn't be a hero. Yeah, I um, think that's kind of the same thing with every all the people that were offered this film. It wouldn't have been a hero. Uh, Christopher Nolan's film was apparently the worst uh, <laughs> for being nothing like the original. Hmm. Yeah, I, I'd i love to see him do the visuals, but can someone else write it? <laughs> I kind of need somebody else to, like, I don't want to see what happened, like, what happened with Tenet? With it just being kind of a mess? I'm like, could we just have someone else take care of this? <laughs> I bought Tenet. I saw him worse. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's still sitting in its plastic. Well, bring it up. We'll make a movie night and we'll just get absolutely drunk and be like, I don't get it either. <laughs> yeah, just 
apparently there's certain sections of the film where the music is so loud that you can't hear the dialogue, and apparently that was intentional. Ah, fucking hell. <laughs> Which is just so snooty. We, we, we talked about this just off mic, and it was just about the general state of filmmaking, and I, I, I think we talked about this last time. It's been a while, it's hard to remember. But we talked about the fact that there's no mid-tier movies to make good actors anymore. And I wonder if we yep. need that for directors as well. I feel like directors go from zero to hero too fast. And, like, some of them do. I think we need some good mid-level movies to kind of double-check everything, make sure they know that, actually know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I think we need to do... For every Avengers Infinity War and Endgame, I think we need to have a couple more Iron Man 2s and Eternals, things like that. Oh, we didn't even talk about the Ghost in the Shell remake. Oh, we don't want to do that. <laughs> no, we don't want to talk about that. No, we don't want to do that. Hell, do we not talk about that film? I, I pride myself on, on being able to sit through most films that I watch. I'm pretty sure I fell asleep watching Ghost in the Shell because <laughs> there's large segments of that film where nothing happens. It's quite literally just Scarlett Johansson brooding on top of a rooftop. Mm. I'm looking at my anime list and just seeing if I had to, like, gun in my head, what I pick. And yeah, there's a lot of stuff in there that I'd love to see them just try, like uh, Redline. That'd be pretty fucking funny. <laughs> we have a live action Redline. It's called Fast and Furious. True, true. Hmm. This is what we're <laughs> going to get. Actually, I'd, if we did Mad Max Road Warrior. <laughs> yeah. Fury it's kind Road, of a mix yeah. of uh, Fast and Furious and Mad Max Road Warrior. And somewhere in the middle with a bunch of like, if you take a bunch of LSD in the middle of it, you get somehow something that makes Redline. Yeah, but then again, Redline is just it's one of those... It's so anime, it physically should not yeah. move out that medium. Yeah, one of, it's one of those films where everything was hand-drawn and it should stay hand-drawn. Yeah, it's, it's Studio Madhouse, just on a bender. <laughs> yeah. There's not a frame of that animation that isn't hand-drawn. Yeah. But, yeah, it's... The live-action adaptations are... I'm not as opposed to them as I should be. I feel like I give them a bit of credit. Like I'll, I'll, I'll wait and see, you know, because I've gotten to that point where it's like, eh, worst case scenario, I turn it off and get on with the rest of my life. It's not that bad. But uh, yeah, I, I waited and I've seen, and I don't like this. So yeah, uh, Cowboy Bebop. Uh, we hardly knew you because you've been cancelled. <laughs> Although I did see um, there was apparently a petition to save the live action version, like get a season two. Um, like, that For what reason? Probably won't fix it, bro. <laughs> um, Who liked the live action adaptation that much? That they just decided, yeah, I'm going to start a petition. If there's more than one signature on it, I'll be surprised. I was holding on to this just so I could piss you off at the end. But when uh, browsing comments or browsing articles about why Netflix cancelled it, there's obviously there's usual speculation, and it comes down to normally the cost and quality was the basis. Six thousand nine hundred eighty-seven people have signed this fucking. <laughs> 6,000 people just lost right to fucking vote in my opinion <laughs> like they've om- as we speak they are almost reaching their goal of uh, 7,500 people is it on change.org it is on change.org yeah. you, you start low there and build up gradually it helps build momentum and progress to actually get more stuff signed because um, it should normally start to like 100,000 it should just jump from 0 to 100,000 but that seems impossible and stops momentum but if you say oh hey we got our first 50 signatures 100,000 signatures it moves the bar quite a bit faster because it's easier oh. to share 
if you say, hey, look, guys, we're almost there. Like, it's easier to share that link with someone say, hey, we're almost there. Could you just sign the petition for us? And that other person jumps in and they share it and then keeps, like, jumping on and on and on. Um, but I think it personally should be just bumped straight to, like, hey, here's your 100,000 signatures. That's your actual goal. Go for it. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, I was browsing the article and I went down to the comment section because I love when there's a comment section on an article, especially on geek shit, because I'm not going to lie, geeks are getting kind of annoying um online especially anime fans and the articles are getting so opinionated and it's gotten so like you can tell everyone's mad about politics but is taking it out through geek stuff <laughs> it's just kind of in that vein and uh, i saw someone in the comment section who was commenting on every single comment in this like article just replying to all saying i don't know what the problem is i thought it was a good show i thought it was a pretty good show I, I like the show, I like what they did with this, blah blah blah. Deep down, I like way into the comments, I find someone saying, this was fucking garbage, and she says, hey, this was the best live action show I've seen all year. Name a better platform, name a better show, and the guy says, anything on Disney Plus. That man responds with, no, Cowboy Bebop, greater than The Mandalorian. Okay. Ah... <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, do <laughs> just no, and and what, I want to find the person, right? I want to find the person that said the 2021 rendition, Cowboy Bebop, is better than John Favreau's Mandalorian. I want to slap him in the face. <laughs> one successfully revitalized fan interest in Star Wars. The other one was cancelled after three. Yeah, that's that's might be the most devastating part of this is that it's been crushed and just destroyed from the, the memory banks three weeks after release that's brutal that's almost unfair like yeah. it, it was bad but oh shit you kind of want to just out of sheer morbid interest you kind of want them to try and keep it going try and bring it back in some manner just you know to yeah. see how it works but yeah I yeah I think the best thing to do would just be put it to bed just take it out back and gently double tap it in the head. Out <laughs> of the words, this hurts me more than it hurts you. Thank you. So, yeah, I, I consider that a solid non-recommendation. <laughs> yeah. So let's move from one Netflix disaster to another. <laughs> uh, we've been yeah. watching, mostly because it caught us by surprise, uh, He-Man Master of the Universe Revelations Part 2. Uh, we watched part one uh, a while back. Sorry, Colin. It's the they dropped the He-Man suffix. It's just Masters of the Universe. Ooh, actually, yeah. <laughs> actually, I even pushed my glasses up when I said that. <laughs> oh no, don't, don't be that guy. Just because <laughs> I had to. <laughs> so, Masters of the Universe Revelations is Kevin Smith's uh, attempt to redo or remake uh, old school He-Man stuff into the new era. And we watched part one. I think we talked about it. I'm sure we did, because um, I remember complaining about weird audio mixing issues where they missed out certain foley things, like they punched someone off of a metal bike, he landed on the ground and there was no noise whatsoever in part one, and they fucking yeah. did it again. <laughs> they had um, there's a seaman skeletor who holds the uh, the master sword. I'm not familiar with He-Man lore, so whenever I'm wrong, I just think slap it's the me. Sword of power. Sword of power. He has the sword of power and is ripping the floor apart with it, and it makes no noise. And I caught it in the first five seconds. I'm like, 
oh shit, here we go again. <laughs> it's just going to be the same thing. And uh, yeah, not far off. A bit better, i got to say, overall. I thought this was a bit better than part one. Uh, mostly because we're not introducing new characters or having uh, nonsensical plot twists or just random exposition to amuse the fans of, or the hardcore fans of the show. But I, I saw this and we didn't actually know it would come out. Weirdly enough, uh, part two yeah. was released ten days before we even found out about it, and only just happened to hear about it through someone else. I suppose, oh, what do you think of He Man? Like, what? What? <laughs> Since when? What do you mean the new the thing that came out six months ago? Kind of crap. <laughs> no, no, they put out new episodes. Excuse you. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I found out about this immediately. Text you asking if you knew about it. You had no clue either, and you actually enjoy He Man as a franchise. Yeah, uh, I will say that I, I was too young for the original He-Man. Um, I think my oldest brother spoke about it, but I, I'd never really seen the original He-Man because it kind of passed by me. My knowledge of He-Man and my watching of He-Man was run about the early 2000s with the uh, Cartoon Network uh, rendition that was actually pretty good from what I remember. I don't want to go back and find out that it was completely not shit. We don't want to risk that anymore. It's not worth the risk. No. I'd rather just keep my, you know, pleasant memory of it. And, uh, yeah, I, we went back to this just because, you know, I think we said the same thing we said about Cowboy Bebop. We'll wait and see. Maybe they could fix it in season two. Or maybe they can fix yeah. it with a bit more writing. And eh, not kind of. Um, mostly because, again, the writing for this show sucks. I, yeah. I have very little issue with some of the characters. <laughs> Although I will say... I'm really just here for Liam Cunningham as uh, Man at Arms, uh, Lena Headey as Evelyn, and Mark Hamill as Skeletor. Yeah. Other than that, and could give a shit. Yeah, and those are the only three characters that you really, that you really care about because, uh, uh Man at Arms. What is it? Liam Cunningham. Yeah. Plays him. He he kind of brings the whole gravitas to the, to the piece, and gravitas is not something I wanted. You typically associate with He Man, but yeah. Uh, he, his version of, I think his real name is Duncan, but his position in the Eternian army is Man at Arms, which is some kind of weapons general or something. I don't know. I, I um, assumed it was kind of commander of the guards. Yeah, we'll go with that. That sounds plausible. Uh, uh, he actually does something with it. Uh, Evil Lynn is the only villain with a brain. Uh, <laughs> and Mark Hamill's Skeletor. I'm pretty sure all of his lines were written by Kevin Smith himself, who was just going to say something the Joker would say. It would be so cool. <laughs> yeah. But I, I don't want to be the Joker. I want to be, you know, Skeletor. What would Skeletor say? And be like, oh, he would totally say what the Joker would say, man. As Kevin Smith rips a massive hit of whatever <laughs> drug he's on that day. I say drug, but he, he, Kevin Smith is an, a well-known weed user, and that shines very strongly in Masters of the Universe Revelation. I, I mean, he's a 50-year-old fascinated with He-Man. I mean... <laughs> That's the thing. He doesn't like He-Man. What? He he doesn't like He-Man. Uh, he's a uh, he's went on record uh, before, obviously before he was given the show, saying that he was never that big a fan of He-Man. He-Man always passed him by, and when it came up in conversation, it was always just you know he never really got it. It was always a bit too campy for him. And this is yeah fairly well documented that he isn't a big fan of He-Man. My assumption was that with it being one of his projects. He's either doing this. I'm. I'm now thinking he's doing this because Netflix is giving him some kind of like. 
can you do Master of the Universe and then we'll give you something in return, like we'll publish all your movies or something like that, we'll give you like kickback on whatever you want to put up on the platform, because they're looking for maybe like all of his old movies. And then, other than that, just it was it was either that or it was a passion project for him, and now he doesn't have passion for it, they're really like, hey, get the geeky guy, you know, the, the one who one wears a baseball cap and uh, like shorts everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the 60 year old, get him. <laughs> Used to be fat, now he's kind of skinny. <laughs> Get that guy. We need someone who understands He-Man. Yeah, I think it was more a case if he was offered it. And uh, he just went, yeah, sure. I remember He-Man, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll take a paycheck, I'll do that. <clears throat> yeah, but it's been a... He was asked about it. He was on uh, his TV show on... What the hell was it called? The Network. No, I remember it was Comic Man. I can't remember the 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 channel it was on. I think it may have been True TV in America. Uh, I think we probably got it on Discovery over here. But uh, it was a TV show called Comic Book Man. It was uh, obviously Kevin Smith, uh, Brian Johnson, Walter Flanagan, Ming Chen, and Mike Zapsik, who all work in this comic book shop that Kevin Smith owns. Uh, oh yeah, that one where he just has this weird kind of interview show talking about comic books. Yeah, I think I've and, seen uh, that. I think that actually might be. It's not on Netflix, it's on Amazon. Yeah, it is on Amazon. I, I love it because I like seeing all the, the shit that people bring in. It's basically like, uh, what was that show, Pawn Stars? Yeah. Where people bring in, like, here's some junk from my wardrobe. And it's like, oh, wait, bro, this is actually, you know, this this Hawaiian shirt was actually worn by, uh, you know, Bruce Campbell for 16 seconds when he was filming the film Baba Hotep. You know, this is worth <laughs> a lot of money. Uh, that kind of shit. And it's basically the same thing, but with rare comic books and toys and things like that. And I think someone brings in, uh, an old Castle Grayskull, which uh, my older cousin who lives in Grangemouth still has his original, and he tells me that these things, before they re-released all the toys for Masters of the Universe Revelations, went for quite a bit of money, and they were discussing it, because the way the show went, I'll, I'll set it up a bit more, I'm bouncing about a bit here, but I haven't podcasted in two weeks, or two months, Tom. We were never coherent to begin with, so... Yeah. Just staying I, back know, on brand, to be honest. Yeah, put your brain on the table, jump on board. Uh, so the way they do the show is they'll do the in-store segment with uh, Walt, Mike, Ming, and Brian, and then they'll go back to the sort of round, the the roundtable sort of podcasting segment with Kevin, and he'll ask them, you know, what happened in the store this week, and uh, they come back to Kevin and say, this is so what happened in my store this week? He said we got a, a vintage Castle Grayskull, in. and he says, you know what? I was never a big fan of He-Man, and you know, I think a lot of people are forgetting that you can watch that on the internet right now <laughs> when. And you know, it completely counteracts Kevin Smith going, "Yeah, I used to watch. Oh, I used to watch He Man all the time, man. I loved the, I loved the TV show. I loved the the movie with Dolph Lundgren." I was like, "No, he didn't. Nobody did. What are you fucking talking about? Yeah, no one did." <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, so I, I, it's always, I wouldn't say surprising, but I think funny to me when people say, "Oh, Kevin Smith is such a huge fan." He's not. <laughs> he said so. He's. I mean. This, this for me, like, I, I knew, I'm not the biggest Kevin Smith fan. I've seen some of his movies. I, yeah. I, I get it. I get what the appeal is. He does seem like a good uh, comedy director. Um, good practical effects and stuff. Good practical, uh, like, pratfalls and stuff. No sort of frame stuff. And, yeah, could totally go with it. I don't know if he has any animation expertise, though. And he I assume does he does have, he does have some, but it's all uh, not high-profile animation. It's but short stuff. 
shorts that he did on his YouTube channel, and he did a movie called uh, Jane Silent Bob, Jane Silent Bob Super Groovy Cartoon Movie. Right. And that was just basically a Jane Silent Bob film done in animation. And I think that's about the extent of his animation credit. But I will say this, just talking about the animation, we'll get into this a bit more. The animation is actually one of the best parts of the season. Yeah. They crank it for this season. Well, fun enough, it is, um, it is, you know what, I have the note down here. Uh, Powerhouse Animation Studios, who are responsible for yeah. Castlevania. And uh, yeah, they did not fuck around on this one. No, they did not. But uh, yeah, I just when it comes to the actual like the show and the writing of the show, I, I knew we we're in the deep end when you meet a character called Fister and he wants to fist some guy. You're like, oh boy, here we go. Yeah. I, I actually sank down is... in my chair and was like, "This is the next three hours of my life. I'm so fucked." <laughs> you you text me at that point saying, "What's the deal with Fisto? Why did you keep talking about fisting everybody?" And I said, "His name is Fisto. What did you expect?" <laughs> <laughs> It's just like uh... a... <laughs> yeah. but that that's a uh, that's old school He Man to a T. There's a uh, there's Ram Man Fisto. Pretty sure there's a character called Power Pole as well. God fucking yeah. <laughs> it was literally the He Man as a as a series is literally a product of on the spot thinking. Uh, the guys at Mattel were trying to sell the next big toy line. To the higher ups at Patel, and uh, they said, "Right, you've got the toys. The toys look cool, but yeah, who like you've got He-Man, Skeletor, and you've got a couple of the characters, but we need more." And like, "Oh, well, we've got more characters on the way in our comic book." And, you know, the guys that were in the meeting just go, "We've got a comic book, and we do now." And then <laughs> uh, they said, "Well, uh, what about kids that don't read? They need something." It's like, "Oh, if they don't read the comic book, they can watch the Saturday morning TV show." And everyone's like, "Have a Saturday morning fucking TV show? We do now." <laughs> and it was literally that that kind of mentality went into creating all the He-Man characters. It was just kind of like, well, he has a he has a ram on his head. He's short and stocky. He is Ram Man. <laughs> uh, this man is a snake. Snakes hiss. He is a king. He is King Hiss. Yeah. And <laughs> so on and so forth. I mean, the other other jokes uh, that I found throughout the course of I didn't take a note of all of them, but uh, I did. There's the whole scene. Where it implies that Skeletor and Evelyn have been banging, <laughs> and do so on quite a regular basis. You're like, oh my god, <laughs> who the fuck had this idea? <laughs> Which degenerate among the among the writers needs shot? <laughs> like, it's yeah. called subtext. We put there as a joke for the adults. We don't explicitly talk about that type of thing. God damn it. Yeah. Oh, and the, the King of Grayskull joking about people kissing his ring in the middle of a fight. Like, uh, <laughs> who who did it? Hands up. Yeah. That actually... Again, you, can't, you can't come back from, you know, I want to fist that guy. You can't say, have that as one of the opening jokes and then say, like, kiss my ring. <laughs> yeah. That actually prompted uh, the text between me and you that became that, the tweet that we put out, uh, where we said people need to knock the weed night shit off. And that's your phrase. Yeah. I want to give you full credit for that because it's a gorgeous phrase. <laughs> knock that weed, weed night shit off. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Joss Whedon has this very, very weird way of trying to do, you know, poignant dialogue, but then end it with a joke. It's that literally you could give you could give a soliloquy from Hamlet so you could go, what is this, a dagger I see before me? <laughs> that's weed night shit. And that's the thing is, he's had quick-witted characters before. Stuff like Firefly, where it fits those characters perfectly. And that's fine. 
having those characters in a show makes for a bit of levity, does work out quite a lot of the time. Normally not an issue. Having a tonal switch from sincere, sombre moments or moments of great uh, impact and then just switching for like a quick kind of points to the camera, finger guns joke and then goes back straight into it is just an absolute abomination. I actually pointed out one thing uh, from episode 3 from part 2 has this amazing sequence of Skeletor showing evil in the true scale of the universe. And it is amazing, like, pullback from Eternia, the main planet that all this takes place on, and it just goes further back and further back and further back into the, the galaxy, then the cluster of galaxies, then the grander, like, the shape of the universe is shown eventually, and Skeletor is there showing evil in, you know, this is how big the universe is, and he knows about this, and this is the, this is the scale of his ambition. And evil in is there, with actually, I actually went back and rewatched it to take notes on this, and it's like, you see tears in her eyes, because she understands how small she is in the face of the grand universe. And they're going for this pure emotional moment with this great music, and it's really intense, and it's kind of, um, it's menacing. The music itself really helps build it into, like, this great moment. And then Skeletor just says, hey, nature could use a makeover, just look at it. And I'm like, you could honestly put, like, a fart noise there, and it'd be just as impactful. Like, who? <laughs> He's, like, giving this great monologue about his never-ending ambition, you realise he will take over the whole universe if he, if he gets a chance. And this, you know, with the power sword in his hand, is his chance to take over the universe. And they're just like, oh, but quick, two on the one-liner, we're getting too serious for a moment. And then immediately afterwards, they go back into, like, Evelyn's nihilistic worldview as she explains, oh my god, I mean nothing. Pick a tone and stick with it. Your show will thank you. What the fuck? I think that's that's a lot of the where a lot of the problems are, because like you said, there's a. I think there's a point where. Uh, Tila and He-Man are talking, and Tila has finally forgiven He-Man. For something, you know, like she does a really, really grown-up thing. Saying, it, it, yeah, you know, it's because he didn't. You kept tell... the secret from me. Yeah, you kept you kept the secret from me. You were He-Man all this time, and I, I get why he did it. I don't like it, but I get why he did it. I'm like, that's that's good character growth. And then, not a couple of scenes later, when Tila is in the the weird fountain thing where she goes to accept the sorceress's powers, she says, "This the big one of the big reveals of this season is that the sorceress is Tila's mom. You don't know who these characters are, so I'm not spoiling it." Um, so she goes to talk to the sorceress, and the sorceress says, "My daughter, you're finally here." And she goes, "You don't get to call me that, I'm like, motherfucker! You just gave her all this shitty character growth." <laughs> And now you're just pissing in people's faces. You're showing us Tila is literally growing up and realizing that her maybe her petty shit doesn't mean that much. And then she's going right back to petty shit. And that's the thing is like maybe you could argue she's only forgiving Adam because of all the stuff they've done together. They don't really know each other that well though. At least not in the show. Maybe there's, yeah, there's more stuff in they the broader really. universe. But in the context of the show, they don't really know each other that well. I mean, to an extent, I think this this show takes for granted that you've seen the other 80s show and mm. that kind of, you know, they've been on adventures, but it doesn't want to fact check you and make sure that you've seen all these other adventures. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It doesn't want to say, all right, make sure and watch this because, you know, it's going to be on the <laughs> test later. Here's your, here's your extra reading for a fucking kids TV show on Netflix. 
I, I just I, I don't know who the audience for this is because it says twelve. But honestly, if you showed this to kids, are not going to get this. <laughs> twelve to fifteen year old, right now they'd be like, "This is boring. I'm going to go watch TikTok." <laughs> yeah. Or this is boring. I'm going to go play a video game. Or this is boring. I'm going to watch something good. And it's just, I, I don't know who this is for. And because my assumption is with it being Kevin Smith and him being probably what would call part of like the man baby generation, like I'd assume it's for people our age, but we all fucking hate it too. <laughs> who is this for? I I think it was originally meant to be for people who liked the original show and wanted more. But the only problem is the people who liked the original show liked campy you know, weird version of a show that really should have ended when it did. To bring that show back and then trying to make it appropriate for today's viewing audiences does not work. At all, I think. And it's definitely not for kids because this is going to go right over kids' heads. They're just going to go, well, who's, why are they angry at them? And why, why at one point does He-Man, when he's Savage He-Man, chase after his dad, even though he's, it's never shown once that he hates his dad? Yeah. I mean, no sense. I, I wanted to get into part of like the like cool ideas that they have, because um, there are occasionally some cool ideas. Um, so throughout the, the original story, it was only really Prince Adam that gets called down the power to become He-Man. Um, however, throughout this series... Part of the end of part one is that Skeletor gets to call down the power and become, uh, I guess, Super Skeletor. And then... Yeah. Um, I think they call him Dark Skeletor because they call <sighs> Evelyn Darklin. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> I was I just about to say, my favourite character design, and not just because she's hot, is Super uh, Super Saiyan Evelyn, whatever they're going to yeah. call her. And, yeah, because Super yeah. Skeletor looked shit. <laughs> Skeletor was... Okay, um, I think it works like it only works with their style of animation. But in any other context, he just looks shit. <laughs> um, but yeah, like eventually, uh, like He Man decides to be the fucking Hulk by calling down the power of the Castle Grayskull without using the Sword of the Conduit, and then yeah. for some reason becomes the Hulk. <laughs> uh, we're talking. Yeah, if someone could explain that to me. Because <laughs> even he's like, I don't know what's gonna happen if I do this. Might be a laugh though. I'd have loved it if he'd fucking been electrocuted and died again. <laughs> I used to have all the yeah. cast looking at the like pile of ashes going, "Whoa!" <laughs> yeah, there were at least four points where I thought they're just going to kill He-Man again. <laughs> it seemed like they had no idea of what to do with Prince Adam at times. So I just thought they're just going to kill him again, uh, particularly in the last fight. Yeah, that last fight was just like, technically again. Pretty impressive. Uh, big fan of what's his name, King Grayskull. Um, uh, Randor. Yeah, King. Yeah, King Randor. King Randor. Uh, his fight scene, pretty badass. Uh, I I think I texted you to say I don't think we saw that in the original. Uh, so getting to see the old man be the king and explain, hey, this is you know why he's the boss, um, was pretty fun. Uh, and then just having He Man show up and like. Uh, maybe I just didn't watch enough of the He-Man show to get what the fucking deal is here, but at one point, he's on Battle Cat, which is like a giant green tiger, if you've never seen the show, um, that he somehow jumps up like about 100 feet into the air on the back of a tiger, slices through a dragon that explodes into flames behind him, and then lands on the ground again. Uh, like, it's really... Like, I, I'm just watching it going, I, who, what? Who thinks this is cool? <laughs> 
the only explanation is that the writer's room is stacked with free weed. It's, it just literally is Kevin Smith just ripping fat bong riffs and then just going, how about he slices the dragon in half? <laughs> yeah. he, he returns to true power and kills like 20 dudes with sick ninja moves. And you're like, okay, Kevin, uh, you pay us, so I guess we'll write that. <sighs> Fucking hell. <laughs> oh, I'll give you the exact moment when I realized that Kevin Smith was smoking weed. I'm going to pitch it to you like I imagine Kevin Smith did, right? So, right, it's going to be the final fight. Uh, Tila is all super yoked out with the sorceress's power, and uh, he, uh, Prince Adam finally gets the power sword back, and uh, you know he uh, he summons the power of He-Man, but you know because he wants Skeletor's help, he's going to give Skeletor the power of Grayskull as well. Why is he going to do that? Because he wants Skeletor to realize that he's a good guy, dude. And then, you know, five minutes later, Skeletor's going to betray him, dog. That's what we're going to do. And then, and then he's surprise, going, sure, surprise, you're paying us. <laughs> It just is a series of cool ideas someone had while high. And then he somehow convinced someone to get everyone involved to animate all this stuff. And yeah, it, it we shouldn't be this invested in a show. But now I'm at the point where I said I would watch part two to see if they fixed it. They haven't fucking fixed it. But I also, no. deep down, know that I'm going to watch part three because they keep leaving it on fucking cliffhangers. And I'm not going to watch it this time to see if they fix it. I'm just going to hate watch it. I'm just going to sit there and go, this sucks, let's see what happens. Take a drink every time someone does something stupid. Yeah, I, th- I think the way that season two ended, cause I remember talking to you about it, You, I, we both started watching it at the same time, but then you had to work or something. You had to, you, you left it. and I, I think I just wanted to walk mess- away. Yeah. <laughs> it's fresh you're saying. Uh, keep watching until the end. It gets worse. By the way, there's a cliffhanger, and you take back just going, why? <laughs> it was up there. All of this, all of these shows, could just be edited. So you cut off the final thirty seconds, where you just say, "Skeletor runs away, He-Man runs away, they both live to fight another way, another day." The same way they do in every episode of the fucking TV show up until that point, where you know it's villain of the week or weird drama of the week, and you're making a kids' weekly TV show to advertise fucking toys. You don't have to try and hook people into the next season. If it's good enough, you'll just get another season and we'll just fucking watch it. You dick. <laughs> yeah. It's it's that never-ending series of hooks that I'm just going to have to keep fucking biting on and biting on and biting on because I'm a masochist. And I want you to make something good. I really do want to make something, see something good. I really want to see something great. I'm not going to get it with the series, but I just might. Yeah. And that's the thing. Uh, they're going to keep making them because they're still small subsection of people that just go yeah this is a good continuation of the old series and they're going to keep you know dropping down these little easter eggs for hardcore fans about holy crap that they're, they're referencing Hordak then you know <laughs> people are going to show up for Hordak then you know if they reference uh, King Hiss they'll be like oh cool King Hiss and the Snake Man are going to come back That's I'm going to watch this one you know they're going to keep hooking people to come back and I don't want to say it's never going to get good because we could be completely surprised when it comes to part three and part three could just be the best animation with the best storyline we've ever seen because maybe Kevin Smith has done, you know, writing shit. Maybe he just wants to bring heat for the next one. Yeah, but I I just, I'm going to ask, I kind of want to be over so that Powerhouse Animation Studios can just go do something good. (laughs) 
<laughs> you think this is the one thing that's holding them back? Like, oh fuck, here comes Kevin Smith again. Oh okay, uh, he's got, I mean, he's gonna pay us. Do we need to pay Jack Boss? <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> like, there's there's nothing that's stopping them from doing something great. And I want I want artists, I want animators, I want people to make something great because it genuinely makes life better. <laughs> I'm I'm kind of fed up of this weird mediocre nerd bullshit that we just let kind of trick like trickle out. And it's just mm. kind of like, it's acceptable. But why is it just acceptable rather than great? And this is up there with that kind of stuff that I'm just I'm just kind of fed up of seeing. And I'm getting kind of worried about like nerd culture in general because it's been monetized successfully through the D- uh, DC stuff, the Marvel stuff. Like they, they've nailed that. And now they're pushing into new formats, new ideas uh, or new genres that they haven't really tapped the potential of yet. And I yeah. think in the next couple of years, Video game movies are going to get it, and then eventually somebody might crack the code for an anime adaptation. And once those are kind of sorted out, geek culture is kind of fucked. Yeah. And I don't know what's left. I'd rather we went back to something else. I'd rather we went to movies based on, you know, original scripts, books. Yeah. (laughs) You know, make me something new rather than this weird, mediocre nerd shit. And I say that. As a nerd, I just want something new. I don't want to see yeah. my childhood monetized anymore. Boring. Yeah, I, get, I get where you're coming from because it does seem that we're getting comfortable with a certain level of shit. And it's because we've never, it's stuff from our childhood that we never thought we'd get to see done in live action and we're accepting, you know, because someone tried to do it, that it's good. You know, uh, I bet if you really went back and scrutinised every single Marvel film, they're not as good as you remember them. But because it's the first type of that film that has anything to do with your childhood that's ever shown up, you're going to take it, you know, warts and all. And that's not to say that I find all the Marvel films awful, but if you really scrutinise it, maybe you realise it's not as good as you think. It's just nostalgia plays a heavy factor. And I think we, how we're accepting, you know, a lesser standard nowadays is quite obvious in films like Eternals, where it's just two hours, 40 minutes with, you know, the occasional really cool fight scene, but just boring, let down stuff that's just trying to play on your nostalgia. I do think, yeah. And I get it's, why... It's getting worse. I would, it's getting worse. But I don't think, I don't think the Marvel films are going away anytime soon. No. And films made on, or made about, you know, new properties, they're never going to happen because they're too much of a gamble. The cinema needs a massive shot in the arm right now so the safer we can make it the better i think or the safer from a producer filmmaker standpoint the safer it can be made the better because you don't want to go and make christopher nolan style massive like 300 400 million dollar film during covid that will only make 17 million dollars back yeah and i say that knowing that my spending habits are part of the problem the, the last couple of movies I went to see, I mean, the example that I, uh, I pointed to recently was uh, The Last Duel, Ridley Scott's movie. Uh, I backed out that one. I was going to go see it. Uh, it seemed pretty good. It had some solid recommendations for people that I respect as far as film criticism goes. And then I heard someone talk about it on a podcast and, and they said, Does any, who is, an, are they speaking French or are they speaking with French accents in this film? Because it's all American stars. And then someone said, oh no, some of them are. And I immediately was like, nope, fuck this film, I'm leaving. 
Because <laughs> if you're all not speaking French accents, fine. If you're all speaking French accents, fine. If three of you are, but ten of you aren't in this film, that's a fucking mess. <laughs> that's that is bad. And I just I said I actually cancelled my ticket to go see it. And I know that the only like the last couple of films I've seen have been uh the the movie extension of an anime franchise I'm a big fan of. Uh, for uh, My Hero Academia. Went and saw that new film in the cinema. And I went and saw the Halloween Kills movie in the cinema as well. So I'm not helping. I'm just continuing to ongoing franchises rather than supporting something that's an original idea. So maybe that's maybe that's my 2022 resolution is to not watch franchise films as much or to go support new films and new ideas. The only problem is when a new film comes out I don't want to see I mean specifically on my part I think there's less impetus to go and see it because I am so invested in the Marvel films I think well I'm going to see No Way Home on Saturday no Friday you know in a couple of weeks time do I really want to go or in a couple of months time do I really want to go and see some new film that could be great or do I want to go and see you know, a middle of the road film that continues the story that I've already seen and I think a lot of people make that choice and just go, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to go and see the continuation. I'm going to see yeah. this franchise. I'll take the safe to... bet. Yeah, I'm going to take the, the copium instead of the, you know, <laughs> the new thing. Yeah, I I just... I, I want to take more risks. And I feel like I want more uh, like cinema like cinema studios to take more risks. But I feel like I have to move first and then let them catch up as a viewer. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe that's the... That's if we give them the impetus, they'll probably fall. <laughs> That's kind of what companies do. And you know, as much as we say, uh, filmmakers and animators and stuff are artists, they are at the behest of corporate masters. So yeah. yeah. Then again, going going for the surprise films not all bad because, off the top of my head, I can name three films that I went into not knowing a damn thing about them, and they turned out to be some of the best films I've ever seen. Uh, those being Scott Pilgrim. Right, Baby Driver, and The Lighthouse. Oh, you seen The Lighthouse? Yeah, I've got the I bought The Lighthouse on Blu-ray because it's insane. Uh, but obviously, the, those first two are Edgar Wright films. But the only thing I knew about Scott Pilgrim was it was directed by Edgar Wright, so I knew it was going to be a good film. But I knew nothing about what was behind it. Yeah. And uh, Baby Driver was another film that uh, by Edgar Wright, but I had none of the Edgar Wright cast in it. I just seen that there was uh, Jamie Foxx was in it. Uh, the guy playing the title character, I had no idea who he is. Michael Kevin Sarah? Spacey back when you could talk with talk about Kevin Spacey was in it. Uh, John Bernthal, uh, John Hamm. I was like, okay, I know those two guys, and it's an Edgar Wright film. That's all I knew. I think I rewatch uh, Baby Driver yearly at this point, sometimes more than that. It's a fucking great film. Oh wait, it was Baby. I thought you were talking about uh, Scott Pilgrim for some reason. Uh, but no, yeah, I, I, uh, don't know, no I don't know. I don't know the name of the guy from Baby Driver. Baby Driver. Uh, for Scott Pilgrim, I don't know fucking anybody in that film. Yeah. Uh, there was maybe uh, the uh, the dude that played Superman. He pl- he plays a a vegan bass player with superpowers. <laughs> right. What's his name? Brandon Routh. Yeah, he's in it. Yeah. Uh, the whole the whole joke about his character is that being a vegan gives you superpowers. All right then. Uh, the main character from Baby Driver, actually just called Baby, is Ansel Elgort. So yeah, you weren't yeah. gonna remember his name. Still don't know who the fuck he is. <laughs> He's Baby Driver. He, dri- yeah, he drives he, the he car. He plays Baby and Baby Driver. Uh, 
Right, so, solid, not recommendations for He-Man, Master the Universe, or Master the Universe Revelations, or whatever it is. Yeah, that thing what Kevin Smith did that has He-Man in it. It's, uh, it's a shame. Um, it would be fun to see some weird, uh, like, camp cartoons come back from the 80s, but, you know, I just, just do something fun with it. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess, I think... I, I, maybe it's just not for us. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I think realizing that I watched, I, re- I think I realized that when I finished the last episode, I'm like, Masters of the Universe isn't for me anymore. And I think even fans of the old 80s show would watch this and go, you know what, this isn't for me anymore. Mm. And uh, I think with, I mean, my final points in Masters of the Universe are, I think if you want to do it right, you either need to go earnest, completely serious, but still have it you know, have the jokes be told but in a kind of serious way, kind of like what Marvel do, because Marvel quite earnest with their things and they'll crack a few jokes and they'll never turn and smile at camera. <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing. I think you need to do it in a Marvel way. But or you need to go completely cheesy and off the wall. Yeah. Have have everything be a bit of a kind of ooh or misses like. Yeah, a bit carry on, like ooh mate that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think or you go the opposite way and you just do it completely earnest. You go Game of Thrones, balls to the wall, serious fantasy. Which would be fun in a weird, dark way. <laughs> yeah, if you want to do the gritty, bloody version of He-Man, you go earnest completely. But if you want to do a kid-friendly version, you make it a bit tongue-in-cheek, a bit kind of, you know, a bit cheesy. <laughs> I'd love to see, like, the Game of Thrones reboot, but nobody knows it. Or the Game of Thrones-style uh, He-Man show, but nobody knows it's a Game of Thrones style, except for Skeletor. So he gets to the power sword, just stabs He-Man in the chest. <laughs> Don't worry, guys, we can revive him through the power friendship. No. <laughs> you cannot do this. I have seen the cosmos. <laughs> you're like, oh, shit. Because yeah. <laughs> that, that throws you through a loop as well. Like Skeletor, he's got skull demon with weird kind of, you know, points sticking out of him, and he's got this cool Havoc staff, Then he's probably the campiest character in the show kind of annoyed he didn't keep his original laugh or I don't think I've seen him laugh yet oh, you hear him laugh a few times and it's just the Joker oh. it's just Mark Hamill doing his version of the Joker and I think that's down to Kevin Smith mm. just going oh you were the Joker do the Joker go on do the Joker let's hear <laughs> you know like a, an auntie that finds out that you can do impressions is like go on geese a wee bit do the impression go on go on do your Michael McIntyre it's really good oh, yeah. make your head shake about <laughs> look like a twat <laughs> Uh, do the man draw a bit. Do the. Uh, there's there's a few um actually there was a few like Netflix releases coming soon, and uh, Russell Howard has a new stand up hour that's coming out. I'm like, hmm, interesting. Didn't know he got a Netflix deal, but go on then. Good to see that Russell Howard's still doing stand up because I think a lot there's a lot of when uh, a lot of comedians do get TV shows and things like that. You find stand up just falls to the wayside. Or at least that's the picture that I get from watching uh, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. Because I went back and rewatched that. Uh, I watched it the first time thinking, well, this is a really good insight into comedy and you know, the, the inner workings of comedy. I rewatched it again and realised Jerry Seinfeld is a pretentious dick. Right? <laughs> uh, he's talking about, you know, like, if you're going out there, if you're a comedian and you're going out there to make people laugh, you're not a good comedian. So you're a very shit comedian if you're going out there and getting no one laughing. Right? <laughs> Talking about the minutiae of commentary, like you start from don't tell your best joke, uh, tell your worst joke first, and you know, try and hold on from there, or start with your best joke, 
and just hold on for dear life. Why are you attaching all these weird fucking rules to, you know, jokes? Wind your neck in and tell the funny. I find, also listen to a lot of the comedy podcasts, and every now and again they get into the kind of, not much just about like shooting the shit with comedians, which is a great way to do a podcast, but um, normally, every now and again you get this weird kind of um, like inner workings, like kind of behind the scenes tour of like what they actually work on and how they think about comedy, and different comedians have different ways of doing it. And I find that, like, no offence, but Jerry Seinfeld is from a different generation of comedians. And I think the comedians now have a much more grounded approach to comedy. It's more workmanlike as well. It's more based on getting repetitions and doing sets and stuff and working out what does and doesn't work and rewriting everything so that by the time you get to your final performances and your stuff that you're taping and putting out as a finished product, it is a finished product in every sense of the word. Refined, it's honed down to a tight hour. So yeah, I, maybe it's just a different generational thing. I mean, Jerry Seinfeld's done his first, I mean, he's 23 hours to go or something like that. It was his first tour yeah. or first uh, recorded set in like two decades. Something like that, yeah. Because I think guys like uh, Kevin Hart, uh, Joe Rogan, Tom Segura, they all look at it in terms of just like, I think a lot of people tend to attribute it to uh, like Chris Rock in a weird way. Like he mm-hmm. had a way of like looking at things where you broke down the jokes, you like mechanically tinkered with it until you got it just right. And then you could deliver it in front of an audience. Like that was something that a lot of people kinda of point to him as being like, hey, he really figured out the mechanics of modern joke telling mixed with storytelling. I think with Seinfeld as well, I think he's done pretty much all you can do with comedy, so maybe this is just kind of the, the player turned coach. Yeah. He's just trying to, you know, <laughs> Both are, I don't know. I just found it quite pretentious. I just, I mean, he has enough money to start shit with the mayor of New York. <laughs> yeah. During COVID, it's like, yeah, uh, New York's dead, or someone said like New York was in trouble, and Jerry Seinfeld just like weighing in, and he's like getting the attention of the mayor of New York. You're like, how much money do you have, bro? <laughs> what you, how much? How much success business wise? I mean, the Seinfeld uh, reruns are apparently like a big money earner for, like, yeah. it's still in syndication and actually. I, Meaning to watch Seinfeld. It's on the to-do list, but I don't know when the time Seinfeld will Seinfeld is quite literally a, a TV series about nothing. Nothing happens. They just, it's... To quote the late, great Carl Reiner, it's just Jews telling jokes. <laughs> just uh, literally Jewish people That's such jokes. an old comedy line. I fucking love it. <laughs> yeah. Just that little bit of a slap in the face. I'm just being offensive. Fuck off. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, but that's I, I. I can stand that. I like the. Uh, I, I like. I've been watching um, some uh, older like clips clips of uh, sitcoms. I actually sat down and rewatched a lot of How I Met Your Mother uh, recently. Holds up pretty well. Not that bad. And I actually enjoy the newer season or the the final season a little bit more. Uh, those final two episodes are still a total fucking mess. Yeah, but, um, I'll give you that. I just realised when I I was watching it the last time that any interaction that Ted Mosby has with a woman, if you played sinister music over it, it wouldn't sound out of place. <laughs> Ted Mosby has killed before and will kill again. <laughs> and just for the record, if you're like, yeah, Ted Mosby, he played that guy, Josh Radner. No one remembers who it is. It's Josh Radner. Save that yep. man. <laughs> he deserves yep. better. He He entertained us for nine years. As a potential serial killer slash uh, love interest, it was he was unfairly did, you know. That's the thing. He'll come back in some Marvel film as like Reed Richards or some shit, and everyone's like, "Yeah, I love that guy." And I'm like, "No, 
<laughs> he kills women. <laughs> they never find the bodies. <laughs> he but, committed grand larceny just to impress a woman. Eh, Good eh, enough that woman was Kobe Smulders in the early 2000s. But yeah. Although, still, yeah. one thing that I... Because I, I, I talked about it, and I, I mentioned it to like somebody that lives in New Zealand. And I was talking to her, oh yeah, I started re-watching the show. And she's like, I just finished re-watching it too. How weird is that? And then we talked about it for a bit, and yeah, there's like some stuff that like I feel bad for Robin because she was a fun character for a lot of the show, and then by the end of it, she's just like for Barney and Ted to fight over. But she was actually pretty good as a character for most of the show. Take a character and just turn her into a device. Pretty weird. Yeah, this guy sucks. But the the other thing was. After we had that conversation, two days later, someone else was talking about it in the lab. Like, are we all just thinking about how I met your mother? <laughs> when did this come back into the zeitgeist? This is really weird. <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's come back. But I mean, the Netflix uh, copies of the, the show are going away on December 31st. So if you want to rewatch it again, get it in now. I mean, I'll, I'll probably give it a miss because it's, uh, it's not something I really, really want to rewatch. I've rewatched it a few times. Yeah. And, uh, if you get your fill of it, understandable because there's only so much you can get out of it. But it, it was yeah. a fun rewatch to go back and but it just started with like random clips on YouTube. I just saw it pop up. I was like, yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing all the times that, you know, Barney uh went, you know, ballistic or whatever during the show. And it's like, oh my god, Neil Patrick Harris was there to kill everyone. Like, holy yeah. shit. There was everyone else on like a normal level. And then Neil Patrick Harris as Barney Stinson on a whole other level. And it's he was another character that uh, you can realize they he was one note and boring by the end of it. The, it it depends because there's a few episodes where actually one thing I, I I noticed when you compare like I think the obvious comparison because they're both New York shows is Friends and How I Met Your Mother, and with that Friends always seemed to be pretty okay. Like, there was never anything really bad going on in people's lives. How much your mother has scenes that actually hurt. Like, there's a lot of stuff in there, and you're like, wow, they were really trying to hurt the viewer, you know? As as fans of the show, they're like, okay, here's this character going through a fucking nightmare. And you're like, oh my god. <laughs> like, several characters uh, die. And you know, big breakups happen, like, long, impactful things happen over the course of a show. And it's it's a mix of a sitcom and a story being told. Which I don't think we'd ever really seen before. I mean, not to my knowledge, anyway. Yeah, because I mean, like, with the exception of like a few small moments in, like, say, Friends or Scrubs, those shows tend to be episode by episode, pretty much the same thing, or the same world consistently. Whereas I think How I Met Your Mother moves forward, even if it's at like a kind of glacial pace at points. Yeah. Because holy shit, those last couple of seasons, like, just get on with it. No one needs nine years to tell their, tell their children how they met the mother. It's just, get on with it. <laughs> There's a few meta moments in there where it's like, I think they, they talk about uh, Barney having a perfect week where he, like, he bangs seven different women over the course of a week. And it's like, <laughs> they, they go back to like current day Ted and he's just like, I shouldn't have told you guys any of this, should I? I'm like, no. What are you talking about? You're, why are you telling us that Uncle Barney's a man whore? What the fuck? <laughs> We don't need to know this. What are, what are you doing? You're a bad dad. But yeah, it's, it, there's a few like sitcoms out there that I kind of want to revisit. Seinfeld being 
I want to watch Seinfeld. I want to watch Curb Your Enthusiasm. Because every time I watch a clip from that, it seems horrifically offensive, and I like the sound of that. Yeah. That, as far as I know, that was just uh, Larry David doing whatever the fuck he wanted. <laughs> and it it goes on for, like, ten seasons, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ten seasons of somebody being a dick. Sold. <laughs> that and, I suppose there's a new season of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. But that's just starting to come out, so I don't know when we get it over here. Yeah, I, if I was going to watch that, I'd need to start again, because I got to season five, ah. then uh, stop watching. Not because uh, not because it was bad, just because I was like, right, I'd watched five episodes, five seasons on the bounce, and there was not much different between them. I was <laughs> like, right, I'm going to park this for a wee bit, and that was two years ago. Ooh, yeah. yeah. I actually would just, as long as you remember roughly a few events of like when... Uh, like when Frank shows up, and then a few like character development moments, you could probably just pick up from where you left off. Yeah, because as you say, but yeah, probably could. The show doesn't change much that changes. much. Except, I mean, maybe I'd say the later seasons. There's a little bit of that because I was I get the feeling that those guys are like very talented writers. They're very good at like walking certain lines, and then I think they got to a point where it's like, okay, we need to make something new. You know. Make something that's a bit more interesting, or maybe just push ourselves creatively. So maybe they, they worked on that for a bit. So yeah, I think they, I mean, the guys like South Park did it as well. They they started creating um, continuous narratives just to keep themselves kind of refreshed and keep things moving forward. So it doesn't feel like they're kind yeah. of losing their, their their writing edge. Yeah, but from what I've seen of their latest season of South Park, holy fuck, they're swinging for the fences. <laughs> the the, the post COVID season. Yeah. The, there's they a post-COVID special, over. and I've got season 24 bought on Amazon Prime. And those are the, so far it's just the two specials that are there. I actually don't know when the post-COVID special comes to the UK. Hoping it's soon. I mean, of course, I'm not a bit too legitimate, man. Not pirating South Park. South Park seems like the kind of show that if you're, if you're invested, you go, you go any lengths to keep it going. Not that they really need an excuse to keep it going to be honest but there's a there's a restaurant they reference in like season 5 called Casabinia they actually bought the real life restaurant that's based on nice <laughs> damn oh yeah and what was the deal they got for like uh, was it HBO or something like that was paying them money or something like that to make the new episodes of the show somebody paid them to get the all the rights to play the episodes or Netflix paid them for the rights for some of the episodes and they got something in the region of like hundreds of millions I'm trying to remember the details but it's escaping me but yeah they've earned a shit ton of money although you spend you know 24 years of your life animating I'd expect to get paid yeah well I feel like we've been too distracted from shitty uh, conversational topics because <laughs> uh, yeah this episode's been a weirdly negative one um, just, yeah I don't know what it is I just it's the winter season. Negativity is in there. Uh, we'll wait until the, the spring comes for the happy times. But um, I would talk about something that came up uh, recently on just kind of general YouTube uh, news. This is that a YouTube channel by the name of Totally Not Mark was copyright striked, or copy claimed, sorry. A couple different terms in here. I'm probably going to use them interchangeably when I really shouldn't. Um, but he had a total of 150 copyright claims on videos he made on his YouTube channel about Dragon Ball Z and One Piece, uh, all placed by Toy Animation. Now, we are huge Dragon Ball Z fans. Yep. And we fucking hate this happened. 
and that, that seems to be happening yearly at this point because I remember not to this scale not to did yeah. you say how many episodes 150 copyright claims yeah. on videos yeah 150 copyright strikes not to this degree but uh, Team 4 Star got hit with this quite badly there was other anime YouTubers that got hit with it quite badly yeah it seems to be happening yearly and no one seems to know what Toy's deal is well I've done a little bit of digging and I think we can get to maybe explain some of this um not really in a kind of justifying way, but more in just kind of a, this is what I can see is happening. Um, and that is, to give it a bit of context, it's 150 copyright claims in the case of one night. Um, so he originally got an email from YouTube saying 50 of his videos have been hit with copyright claims by Toy Animation after manual review by co- by Toy Animation. So they've identified the video as being containing their copyright material. They've put in a claim to YouTube. YouTube has demonetized the video. Or... Uh, held monetization for the video so you're paid on youtube based on how many views or how long the view time is on those different videos and in the case of a copyright claim the money that would be generated by the video is held kind of in escrow or like on behalf of anyone involved by youtube until the issue is resolved so an hour later he gets a number saying or he gets another email saying that there's now a total of 30 emails being copyright claimed, and the next morning he or just goes to bed, wakes up the next morning, find a hundred and fifty claimed videos on a single channel, which is the biggest I've ever heard of. So you know, bravo, I guess. And this is kind of like why you don't see the full uploads of TV shows or uh, like songs unless it's from official sources nowadays. YouTube has a very harsh copyright ID system. I actually saw uh, in a like it's a streamer, like an editing stream by a guy called YourMovieSucks.org. Uh, he was talking about using uh, footage and clips from even just trailers. If you play footage for longer than eight seconds of video, or use more than six seconds of song, um, you get a copyright claim. So that's the kind of level of intensity we're dealing with here. So you then go into the process of uh, putting in counterclaims and various um, different like uh, like claims, counterclaims upholding the claim or then like legal challenges are involved at a certain point if the if toy animation backs down from any of these uh totally not mark will get the money back which is what we're hoping for because obviously uh, he explained that he makes a video a week with a team of like fellow animators youtubers like analysts people who watch uh media and review it kind of critically like they make the videos together as a team so that's three years worth of work down a drain, basically. I remember part of the video being that he uploads one video a week or something, one video a day. One a week. One a week, yeah, so that's a fuck ton of work. Well. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember part of the video being he points out that people like Stephen Colbert use something like 30 seconds worth of footage in their shows. Fuck all happens to them. He actually had a, a clip of, like, he had a video directly related to um, Stephen Colbert using a Freezer reaction gif <laughs> because um, he was covering the New York Comic Con or New York Anime Convention uh, having a, like, a case of COVID there so everyone's like oh shit an anime convention just caused the new uh, Omicron variant to spread out through the US and he had uh, the gif or, or he had a video of uh, Golden Freezer from I don't think it was Broly, but it was one. Of those, I think it might have been Resurrection F. Yeah, Resurrection F. Yeah. 
and he had him like screaming in the video and like using the official audio and the video and everything and Colbert's video wouldn't be claimed. It's only it's only as far as I can tell because it's not like all Dragon Ball Z YouTubers are getting hit. It's just this guy today for some reason and I have no idea why. But you know there's there's copyright claim uh, lawsuits going back and forward. There's uh, HDHD versus Matt Hoss which is a good one uh, where they had a really good example of fair use uh, through criticism which I'd actually say, having seen a few of Totally Not Mark's videos, he goes further than they did in, like, presenting fair use. So I'm not entirely sure where Toei Animation's getting their claim, but for some reason YouTube is allowing them to make the claim on the video. So when it came to the actual, like, copyright law, there's a slight difference, though, because HDHD and Matt Hoss fought their stuff, fought their, like, lawsuit uh, out over copyright. They went all the way through the courts, got a final judgment and everything, they did it in American courts. The difference is that Japanese law does not have a fair use provision for footage. Yeah. It is entirely down to the copyright holder saying, that video uses my material, fuck that video. And that's the copyright claim. That is the entire basis. And based on like how um, like the Japanese industry and community views this type of thing, it's not going to change. He would not win a lawsuit if he did try and sue them or if he did have to defend his work in court. I think they'd find against them, which is a shame because, again, having watched some of his video, it's good. Like, he makes good videos and makes good content, but viewed from an American or Western point of view, we'd see him as being in the right, but there are apparently some Japanese uh, YouTube fans that are kind of out there in the mix of Reddit and uh, YouTube comments saying that from a cultural point of view they see Totally Not Mark as being in the wrong and these are active YouTube users which is interesting because I assumed that the lawsuit would be coming from like the older generation people who you're saying it's coming from the sorry, younger generation it, it's not even like a, a generational thing it's it's a cultural thing it's a genuine understanding of how copyright works for different legal systems between Japan and the United States where they have that kind of element of maybe not freedom of speech, but there's fair use practice and criticism. If a Japanese content creator or Japanese producer doesn't like it, it gets pulled. And the Japanese audience seem to be in the line of shame it happened to you, you shouldn't have used copyrighted material. Sucks to suck, you know? It's a very, very strange situation, but um, I feel bad for Mark. The, the guy who hosts the channel. I say, I think he makes really good content. Um, I've got a video. I'm going to send you a link to it, actually. Cause I think you'll like it. But it's uh, it's one of the remaining Dragon Ball Z videos he has. But it's uh, him drawing Dragon Ball Super content. In the context of, like, old Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, I think I've seen that, actually. I watched a few videos that was, like, redrawn Super or redrawn Dragon Ball or something. Yeah, so... It seems, I mean, it might just be that the images alone are enough to get the content pulled because that seems to be part of it. But if he's making videos like this, I'd say, you know, from our point of view, Western point of view, I'd be saying, no, no, there's it's fair use. You know, drop the claim. But I don't know. Yeah, well, unfortunately, the, the way this kind of works is if, if you're debating about content that's owned by a company that owns their license for it, I think you kind of need to go with the 
the legal system of the license holder, which unfortunately means he's kind of screwed. Yeah. It's a shame, and I hope, personally, uh, I mean, there was initially some calls for a boycott led by Totally Not Mark. Uh, he has since released a new video that came out just yesterday where he explained that he can no longer really support uh, the boycott. The video was actually just called Thanks for the Support. Where he said that, you know, he's had support from massive corners of YouTube. Phil Franco's posting on it. Uh, half of the anime YouTube that I know of, or half of anime YouTubers that I know, are, like, really on his side, really, like, hoping for the best, like, retweeting all his stuff, getting support for him and his staff, and, you know, hoping it all works out. But at the same time, I don't know if they're going to win this one. But he has since also, in that update, said that he's no longer calling for the boycott. Um, and they've also managed to raise ten thousand US dollars for a char- charity called the Light Ring, which uh, helps prevent suicides in Japanese youth, which is awesome. <laughs> turning something this shitty, such a horrible situation, and then turning it around to be like, "Hey, I'll give some, you know, some of the money I've got, some of the, the some of the uh, donations I've received, will go to a charitable cause for you know, suicide prevention." I uh, I think it really speaks to like his character, which is why I have faith that, I mean, even from not seeing all the affected videos, there may be stuff in there that like goes a bit farther than what I've seen in other videos. But having watched a review of one of his or watching one of his other reviews for a show I actually know, I think he handles his content very well and makes you know takes active steps to do so. But we won't know unless the claims are released and we can see the actual whole videos for us. Yeah, I think there's probably more behind this. There's more still to come on because I I don't see Toy really letting up on this because they're the same with Team Four Star to the point where they had they seen it better to stop, like leave all the the Team Four Star Dragon Ball Bridge stuff up, but not do any more just because it was costing them a lot to try and deal with mm-hmm. Toy coming at them constantly. And yeah, I can see. I don't think this is going to stop anytime soon. I think it's, if Toy keep viewing people across the very, very large cut of anime that is, or cut of YouTube that is the anime YouTubers. I think Toy are just going to keep coming at people, and it's not going to be addressed until maybe someone in the in Japan reevaluates their copyright laws, which I don't see happening soon. There was actually, in one of the articles I read, uh, a quote about somebody making like moves into, like, they're going to start looking at their, their copyright law again. However, based on Japan being a very slow bureaucratic system, I don't see it happening anytime soon. This is like a, a 10 year plan of maybe reforming some copyright laws because when you actually look at the laws that are the translations I read, they're written in a way that is very much in it favours the copyright holder. Anyone doing any works derivative of that is basically screwed. You're basically waiting on the other shoe to drop from the copyright holder. So I, I don't think we'll see much change, but. I mean, if totally not Mark, he's saying he's taking the rest of the year off, because um, obviously this has been a fucking nightmare. So he is going to take the rest of the year off, um, work with his team, work out what they want to do, and maybe come back, I hope they come back in 2022, because like I, said, I, I like the stuff he makes. I think he does good content, so if he wants to come back with his team and make more YouTube videos, I'm all for it. I'll actually be there. I've already subscribed, so hopefully I can see what he puts out later. And I'll go back and check out his previous content as well. He's also doing a review of uh, Berserk, so I'll maybe have, uh, I'll maybe see his take on it. 
it's always bad when you see somebody who's quite well known anywhere get struck them for stuff like that. So hopefully it does get does get dealt with fairly quickly. But you never know; these things take time. Good luck, Mark. You're gonna fucking need it, mate. I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry with the bearer bad news. I'm sure he knows more than we do. But uh, basically, he's up against Goliath, and he's David. Oh, and he forgot his sling. Um, yeah, and he has both arms tied behind his back. Yeah. Maybe piss on him a bit. <laughs> yeah. Go for the shins. Go for the shins. <laughs> you imagine kicking Goliath's shins. <laughs> be like throwing blueberries at him. It wouldn't even sting. It would just burst. Right, with that last piece of depressing news out of the way, uh, let's uh, do elevator pitches. Yep. So, um, Which for... I totally remembered and have prepared for this. <laughs> he really means that, kids. Um, so, uh, I'll, I'll go with my first. Uh, so one night I'm browsing Reddit and I come across a photo of a distinguished gentleman posing with an anime girl. And after laughing, I check the comments to find out it's the Japanese Consul General to New York at New York's anime convention. And he goes every year. And then it turns out that Kanji Yamamuchi loves some anime and plays guitar. Which is why he made a video of himself playing the opening to Demon Slayer. And it's pretty fucking good. It's way better than it should be. So that's my uh, elevator pitch. And the link for that will be in the show notes. My elevator pitch is nowhere near in the same vein. Let's just, I'm just going to get that out of the way just now. Because, uh, like I said, I, I remembered completely. And this one is well researched and thought it. <laughs> but... Uh, I remember there was a stint where I would go downstairs and you know talk to my dad as I usually do, and he would be watching Indian films, Bollywood films. Right. His, as far as he was aware, they were better, better films. They were uh, more, they were better made than they were over here. Better storylines, which you know, if you know anything about Bollywood films, is the story is non-existent, and it, that kind of got me thinking. What what other weird Bollywood contributions to the world are there? And then it got me thinking of a Indian thriller, which is Michael Jackson's hit song Thriller, done in a Bollywood style, with transformation sequence and everything. The sea is to believe, and you will believe <laughs> that this is the greatest thing of all time. So good that the video that is in this link, or the the video link. That is in this episode's notes is a direct rip from E Bomb's world. And if you I'll know, say that again, you know. a direct rip from E Bomb's world. <laughs> Let that sink in. Well, those are uh, elevator pitches. Um, if you'd like to reach out to the show, you can do so at jibberfishpodcast at gmail.com. You can tweet us at jibberfish or you can reach out to Dom at. That's a very good question, and I shall answer that promptly. Dom underscore Anderson25. Uh, in the meantime, I've been called. Respond, but you can tweet me. <laughs> don't don't do it. But I mean, if you want to do it, do it. You know. I mean, if you feel the need to tweet someone, feel free to tweet me. I will not uh, respond. But just respond with feet pics, but not yours. <laughs> just the nasty feet pics. You will be blocked if you send me feet pics. <laughs> but in the meantime, I've been calling Graham. I've been Dom Anderson. And we've been talking gibberfish.